should wait to come out, that you should uh, try to gain rank or status before you do that. That's a bunch of bull It's a new day in the music industry, and I can reach my fans. We're getting there. I've caused harm to the political agenda, and which I'm actually happy for. I would say probably the best message to them is that they're on the wrong side of history. Whether you're lesbian, gay, bi, transgender, or whatever, love is love. Shout it out to the world. The Michelle Miao Show. Your A through Z covering the LGBT, LMNOP, and everyone in between show. And now here's your host, Michelle Miao. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Happy Tuesday. I know Tuesday is my favorite day because usually John Zipper of Commonwealth Club is here with us. But today he he hired some new employees. That's nice. (laughs) Yay to Commonwealth Club uh, for some new employees. So he couldn't be here. He has to be training. But he might be with us tomorrow. So Let's hope for that because it's always fun to have John. Um, but I, I, nonetheless, I mean, it's it's going to be a great program, and uh, I'm happy to be here. I'm happy to wake up every day and have this as an outlet. Um, lately, I I can't sleep anyway. I wake up every hour thinking that uh, I posted this on my Facebook actually this morning at three o'clock in the morning. I was tossing and turning. Because I had this anxiety that, you know, an old white guy with a pen, a fancy pen maybe, an expensive pen <laughs> as a weapon is, gonna, is going to come after me um, as I wake up in the morning. And that's how, it, that's how it feels since Donald Trump, President Donald Trump, has been inaugurated already. He's gone to work to limit the freedoms of, of people, especially women. Um, as I reported yesterday, his first uh, executive orders included limiting the rights of women. And yes, I'm talking about that policy that was born out of the Reagan administration, um, which ironically, uh, a woman had had reached out to me and wrote me an email about giving Donald Trump uh, a chance. And so I'm going to continue the program, especially today, talking about why I cannot give President Donald Trump a chance. It goes to this bigger question. I don't think it's about race. I don't think it's a it's about um, anything other than privilege. And we're not quite checking each other's privileges. And so if you are an LGBTQ person or you're a woman and you're rationalizing or normalizing Donald Trump, I think that you need to really ask yourself this question of privilege. How how much privilege do you have? And how did you get to the place that you're at today in which you cannot understand why taking the rights of women and children away first and foremost, you know, the first thing you do when you get into office, why you can't understand that 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 is unconstitutional, that that in itself is a violation of human rights. So let's start the show. Today's program is brought to, you, brought to you by Pacific Fertility Center. When life needs a little encouragement, Pacific Fertility Center will be right by your side. Visit PacificFertilityCenter.com. By now, most of you know that millions of people around the country marched uh, in the Women's March, which is the largest protest in American history um, that, I, that uh, you know a lot of historians are, are dubbing, and uh, the largest protest, especially of a president. 
And so our guest today, our special guest today is a good friend of mine who joined in on this march. And what I'm trying to do is speak to as many people as I can who might be your neighbor, who might be your your daughter or your grand grandmother, uh, anybody who was involved in these marches and what it means to them. So let's welcome Amy to the program. Amy, thanks for being with us. Thank you for having me, Michelle. Glad to be a part of it. Um, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm super excited that there's so many, there's millions of people that I could call and talk to <laughs> who participated in these <laughs> marches, which is, is incredibly powerful. Uh, let's start with just, you know, you, why did you get involved and had you been politically involved before? You know, I would say that I was politically informed, but I wouldn't say that I was politically involved. And looking back now, I wish I had been a little more politically involved in things like Black Lives Matter, because I'm understanding the power of that voice, as we can see from this march. Um, But I would say I got involved because I don't think there's ever been a time in government that I feel so helpless and attacked as a woman. And I felt like going to the march would send a visual message. It sent a lot of different messages to the administration, but I felt like showing up and having my voice heard felt really empowering, and seeing all those images from around the world is really empowering, too, and just gives you validation that we're all feeling like this Mm -hmm. and that we do have the power to make this change if we all rally together Mm -hmm. and come together as a voice. Absolutely. Now, you know, I'm just going to say this. You're a friend of mine, and I know you, so I know that you're white. <laughs> um, yes. And 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 you've got family. Not that you know. You're you're just not in this liberal bubble that we call San Francisco. And which my guess is that you've got family and friends all over the political spectrum. And kind of like what's been your experience with uh, through this election and this talk that's been so sexist and so toxic in which. You know, people outright have been speaking out and against, you know, a woman's right to choose. You know, it's been really hard because these are people that are in my personal life that I respect as a, you know, on an individual level, but we are just not seeing eye to eye on these things. And, you know, it makes you wonder, you know, do they not, how do they view you, right? Like, mm-hmm. well, don't you see me as a woman that deserves this equality? Like, I thought we had this relationship. And, um, and so that's been a little hard. And, you know, these are people that you don't want to fight with. You want to have a, a really sophisticated um, educational dialogue about why this is going on and their views and your views and trying to come together because I think another a thing that we're really trying to avoid is this division in the United States, right, over all these different issues. So really trying to put aside how strongly I feel about a lot of things and hearing the other side and, and trying to get both perspectives and maybe, you know, have them come to my side or have an understanding of why this means so much mm-hmm. to me and mm-hmm. why this equality and all these issues are so important to me as an individual, not just as, you know, the Democratic Party, but seeing me as a person in their life and how this really affects me. That's the key thing I wanted to talk about is, like, uh, as a person. And so when I hear, like, people start, um, again, normalizing, you know, Donald Trump, his administration, kind of the premise of this new administration of of what they campaigned for and or against um limiting the freedoms of like individuals like certain individuals you know who in my opinion are completely under attack such as muslim americans muslims in general african americans um and you know even donald trump's rhetoric of police brutality or uh, you know whatever he calls 
uh, uh, cops now have you know, be, having to to be you know the authoritative voice of the law and and them having to to do their job and kind of reversing even what Black Lives Matter even means to us, right? And then also, um, yeah, uh, a direct attack on women and their right to choose. So for you as an individual, a person, you know, of society, a person who is in in a community, um, how do you have these conversations where it's not political, like literally, you know, this person is trying to take away something that uh, affects my life and or the future of all of our lives. Well, I think it's really important to kind of highlight what it means to me as an individual, but then also kind of turning it around and putting it in the other person's world, right? So Mm -hmm. if I'm talking to a, a conservative male that's against the march and against all these things and can't understand, really saying to him, well, did you ever think that if a woman in, you know, let's say you have a daughter and she's in college and she's afraid to come to you and she wants birth control. Did you ever think about that? Or, you know, what if somebody in your family is a female and can't afford a Mm -hmm. cancer screening and these things are being taken away? Like, what about the people, if you're not going to look at how it affects me, but also these people that are in your family and how it could directly affect them as well. So I feel like including me and then turning it back and saying, well, have you thought about this person and this person and how they use that? You probably never even thought about that. Like, your daughter is going to need birth control, or what if something happens? You send your daughter to you know college, and something happens to her on campus, an assault, and nobody does anything about it. Then it really means something to you, but until that happens, it's not going to mean something to you. So trying to bring out these different scenarios and, and have that dialogue. Right. Going back to the march, you marched in San Francisco or the Bay Area. I don't know if you did both Oakland and San Francisco, but collectively, uh, the Bay Area saw over 160,000 people march on Saturday. Um, Let's be positive about that. I mean, how many of your friends, your family, people you knew, uh, your Facebook feed, all of it, even people you worked with, how many of them were uh, supportive of the march and or march themselves? I mean... You know, we live in San Francisco, so a majority of, of people I know supported or came out, you know, in Sonoma and San Francisco, San Jose, Oakland. My mother marched in Hartford, Connecticut. Uh, so, you know, I think that doesn't surprise me in this region, but I think it's really positive to see in places you wouldn't think people were marching and seeing the people that turned up there was really inspiring to me. Mm-hmm. What about some of the signs? Um, I think those were also very empowering, the messages people were carrying with them, which seemed to be diverse, and it wasn't necessarily all focused on women's rights. Right, and I found that interesting, too. You know, there were some about the environment, some about Trump, and I think think there's a place for that in the Women's March as well. Um, I thought thought some of them were a little... (laughs) A little abrasive. I, you know, I wanted to, you know, make sure that this was a positive message um, that we're sending. I think that um, we need to be heard by the middle ground as well. Um, but overall, I thought they were they were really positive, and I think they were really specific. And I think that we're making our voices heard in that way. Absolutely. Uh, you know, like I said, I mean, I was there as well, and um, for me, it felt like pride had come early, and since. Um, I work on organizing Pride that happens at the end of June, and more than a million people come to San Francisco to celebrate 
and uh, commemorate the LGBTQ community, what I saw there was something that the Pride celebration was born out of, which, you know, was born out of protests of uh, of all of these quote-unquote laws and policies um, that discriminated against a certain group. What I, what I hope for, and I think that maybe you can talk about this as far as your experience, is the coming together of all kinds of people with various backgrounds, um, whether that means class background uh, or economic background, education uh, background, um, as well as race, gender, all of it. I think that everyone, I mean, can say that it's been incredibly diverse throughout the entire country. What do you think? I agree, and I think that's a you know wonderful thing about this march, and you know it being a women's march is that you know we may come from different backgrounds, but we all can agree that we want what's best for our children. We want them to be educated and to have a future. We want control over our bodies. We want to feel equal. We want equal pay. Uh, you know, I think it was said at the march that you know equal pay is a woman's issue, and that's true. And I think we all want that for the future and for ourselves and for our children. And I think that's a common ground that all women can find across all these different varied backgrounds and something we can all gather together and fight for. Uh, I, I have a couple minutes before we go on break, and then I want to keep you because the important thing is so many people did march. Uh, and I want to know kind of what are people's plans for what comes next for them. So um, just a quick question before we go on break. And you're okay to stay with us or... Yes, absolutely. Okay, okay. awesome. Um, it's, you know, and again, like a, an everyday, one of the things that I keep talking about over and over is, is this not being a racial thing and that we actually, all of us need to come together and leave our bias uh, and privilege at the door to become better allies to one another. I'm sure of it that you may have even heard, you know, I guess, comments or people's feelings within the march in itself uh, where people constantly were talking about race and 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 referring to you know the the uh, racism and it within our own movement did you hear of any of these types of comments do you know what I'm talking about I do know what you're talking about and I think that's why I said in the beginning that I looking back should have been a little more politically active and seen the power of something like this beforehand. Um, and I'm realizing through the comments where, you know, I think a lot of the comments were, where were the white women when we were marching for Black Lives Matter and all these other things and fighting? And mm-hmm. I think it's a valid point. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm looking at my own privilege and seeing what I, what I can do and come out of my comfort zone and have these conversations and acknowledge that and kind of come together and see what we can do to mend that and to not have it be that kind of, feeling or march moving forward. Thank you for that. Thank you so much for acknowledging that. We're going to take a quick break, but when we come back, we'll continue our discussion with Amy Howard, who is a special guest of mine, a good friend, and and uh, who, like many of you across the country, joined in on the Women's March uh, this past weekend. When we come back, we'll talk about some things that Amy is planning to do or work on, and maybe we can share and bounce those thoughts around. So don't go away. This is a true story about two best friends who fell in love and moved across the country to the city by the bay. After many years of dating, Jen and Jacqueline are now planning their dream wedding. It's a big moment in everyone's life when you say I do, especially when you can make choices for your authentic life and your loved ones too. Congratulations, Jen and Jacqueline. Live your authentic life. 
a special message brought to you by Weatherford BMW. Babe, I think we're ready. We're really doing this. Yeah, I'm ready for our family. So where do we start? <laughs> Starting a family is a team effort, and when life needs a little encouragement, Pacific Fertility Center will be right by your side. As a unified team of the best fertility specialists, guided by the highest ethical standards, Pacific Fertility Center provides patients with compassionate fertility care. Visit PacificFertilityCenter.com. The Commonwealth Club is a unique organization that brings together people from a variety of backgrounds to explore important issues as a community. Sooner or later, everyone worth hearing comes to our stage. From Marga Gomez to Richard Chamberlain, from James Hormel to Kate Kendall, leading thinkers, activists, politicians, and artists have come to the Commonwealth Club of California. Ted Olson and David Boys came here to discuss their winning legal strategy for same-sex marriage. Jason Collins talked about gay athletes. The Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence discussed activism and good works. Actor and director Rob Reiner explained how he got Hollywood behind same-sex marriage. Barney Frank described what it's like to be gay at the highest levels of Washington. From healthcare reform to transgender rights, from immigration to gay-owned businesses, it's all at the Commonwealth Club. And that's still just a portion of the 450 programs we present every single year, with new programming nearly every single day. Be a part of the conversation. Learn more at commonwealthclub.org, download our free app in iTunes, and join us in person the next time you're in San Francisco. The Commonwealth Club of California puts you face-to-face -face with today's thought leaders. And now, back to the Michelle Meow Show. Welcome back. Thank you so much for joining me here on this Tuesday. So sorry, John Zipper of Commonwealth Club is not here with us. He's a little busy, uh, but he uh, promises to make an appearance sometime this week. You can also catch him this Friday as he hosts his own week-to-week -week political roundtable talk that airs here on the Michelle Miao Show on Progressive Voices Network. Our special guest today is my good friend Amy Howard, who, like many of you, participated in the Women's March this past weekend, and uh, we're, we're getting her thoughts on kind of what that experience was like for her and what this means for her future. Uh, I think, you know, listening to each other is an important piece of this. And not that I think we're trying really hard to change hearts and minds, but if we could, I mean, we will. <laughs> um, but, but why the work is so important, even from an everyday, ordinary citizen's perspective. So, Amy, what's next for you? So after the march, I really wanted to keep that feeling going, uh, that motivation, and you know, not lose what we had accomplished on Saturday. So yesterday, I wrote to my local representatives. I wrote to Ms. Conway, who had uh, gone in the media and said that she didn't understand the reason of the march and that we should have requested a dialogue. So I did, writing her a personal letter. Um, I wrote... Um, Harris, I wrote uh, Feinstein. I also signed up for a variety of different, um, you know, email distribution lists. I signed up for swingleft.org, where you enter your zip code and they tell you your closest congressional district where Republican won by a slight margin. I think it's really important to focus on 2018 and how we can make that change. I also focus a lot on indivisible. 
which is a really, really great guide about what to do next. Uh, they're taking the lead from how the Tea Party stopped Obama, and I think it's really important that they map out how we can better engage our government, how we can organize locally to make change. Um, I think it's noted that they are former progressive uh, congressional staff, so they really have the insight. And just signing up into local groups that are really trying to make a difference in your community. I think that's the way to go and really focus mm-hmm. on 2018 and being heard and writing those letters. Another thing I'm doing is organizing with a group of my friends that I get together every month. We're now doing letter parties where when we get together, we take 10 minutes. Everybody writes somebody in the government. We send those out as just something that we're doing now moving forward. Now, you're also a, a wonderful mom, a very engaged and active mom, um, to an adorable, adorable, I uh, think he's, I know he's under five, three, four? Yeah, <laughs> uh, he'll be five soon, yeah. He'll be five soon, wow, time flies. Um, and also a wonderful wife, I mean, you've got a lot, go- and a professional, I mean, you've got a lot going on uh, personally, I mean, but there are a lot of you out there in this country, how will you make time for, you know, this this new activism that you're uh, engaged to do? It has to be a priority for all those reasons that you mentioned. I have a son. I need that to be a priority for him to build this kind of future I want him to see. I want him to also know that there is this equality and that women are equal. So it's also me taking the time in our personal lives to teach him those lessons and demonstrate that to sign up in ways in my community that he and I can both volunteer to demonstrate that to him. But really, I mean, you have to make it a priority, right? There has to be room for it. So these things like I'm talking about, the letter parties, are something I would do anyway. I'm just incorporating a little political activism in that as well. I love it. You know, what we once upon a time had Tupperware parties, even sex toy parties. Now it's uh, (laughs) right to your political leaders' parties. Um, That's really awesome. What about what about coping with your emotions? I mean, I mentioned today that I woke up with anxiety and a lot of people might not understand this. But when you every part of you is under attack and you may be losing your rights and your freedoms. I mean, it's a very scary, if not violent world to think about. How will how do you, how are you coping or how do you talk about that with your friends in kind of, you know, if they're feeling overwhelmed and or anxiety or scared even? Great question because I think it's a a new feeling for a lot of us that we've never or I have never and my friends have never really felt this fear coming from our government because I don't feel like we've ever been directly attacked by an administration before. So I really thought about this after the election because I feel like I fell into a depression and kind of helpless and hopeless. And the march helped me with that, I'll have to say. But I think that my resolution for 2017 that kind of ties into all of this is nourish, right? So taking care of yourself, taking some time to reflect and organizing a game plan so you don't fall into that feeling of helpless and hopeless. I feel like reaching out, you know, getting involved in the government, sending these letters, it helps bring your message, but I think it also helps, well, it helps me individually feel like I'm doing something, that I'm a part of it, that I'm not just wallowing. Mm-hmm. I'm, there's an action behind it. And that's really helped me feel less helpless and a little more hopeful that I could maybe make a difference. And I, I also think add some wine in that, you know, somewhere. Of course, wine, <laughs> a little hiking. And a little hiking, yes. Some conversation. Uh, that's very, very helpful. 
Um, I, you know, before we let you go, here's also something that I think people need to start thinking about. There's all these you mentioned Indivisible, and which is a new resource or actionable group that's coming together. Obviously, a lot of these new groups or organizations need the financial health to be to actually become something, right? To work, to operate. Um, I, 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 this is happening to me for the first time, in which I'm reevaluating the organizations that I'm providing resources to. Do you find that that's also happening within your community, if not yourself? Yes, and I will say that one of the things I did when the election first happened was donate to a whole bunch of different organizations that I had never thought, you know, outside of things like Planned Parenthood, just to make myself feel better and feel like I was making a difference. But then I had to reevaluate that in what you call privilege, right? Because... I am a San Francisco privileged white woman who has the money to do that. But what about getting involved in the community? So that's really my next step is, yes, giving the money, but also getting my hands dirty and putting my money where my mouth is and giving my time. Amy, uh, it's been awesome speaking to you, and thank you so much for sharing your thoughts. Any any final comments you want to make for those who are tuning in, maybe, maybe to someone who didn't join in on the march but um, kind of wish they did? I would say keep the dialogues happening. That's the only way we're not going to divide and, you know, keep an open mind. It's really hard. I know emotions are running high. My emotions are running high, but continue to be active and continue to have those conversations. You know, we're the United States, and we have to do this together, and it's really hard. This is a really difficult time in our history, but I think if we have a little compassion uh, I have to work on that every day. I'm not perfect at that, but I think that's really how we're going to get this get through the next four years. Right. Well, good luck to us, and uh, thank you so much for your voice and everything that you're doing. Uh, I look forward to joining you there on the uh, on the field and doing this together. <laughs> yes, I look forward to our brainstorming, and thank you for including me in this. Don't go away. When we come back, we'll speak to Kimberly Alvarenga. For those of you in the San Francisco Bay Area, you might know her as a candidate who ran for District 11 here in San Francisco. Well, she identifies as LGBTQ. She's a family woman, and uh, the the fight goes on for her. So we'll hear from her and, and what her efforts are in this new weird time that we're all living in. So don't go away. Hi, I'm Chuck Spence. I'm the owner of the Maui Sunseeker LGBT Resort, and I'm also vice president of Maui Pride. It's not just the only LGBT resort in Maui, it's the only LGBT resort in all of Hawaii, which is really kind of amazing. Maui Sunseeker actually started years and years before I even got involved. I came along as one of the owners a little bit later in, in life. I came to Maui back in 1978 and absolutely loved the island. I fell in love and I thought, this is where I want to live, this is where I want to be. And so from 1978 until 2008, I finally came alive with the dream and bought the Maui Sunseeker because I realized that this would be the next step in my life and um, thought that this would be an ideal situation because I could do something that, that was my own business rather than making money for other people. 
it's important to have a place where you know you can feel comfortable about yourself you can feel loved and you can feel welcomed by everybody and I think that that's the ambiance that we try to create and and that's the message that, that we try to deliver in all of our ads and trying to bring people to Maui is that you know we're not just an experience on Maui we're an experience of Maui when you think back years ago how closeted we used to be and you think about how suppressed we were back then to how open and accepting we are now and and it's it's a good progression for society it's good that people are, are not just you know tolerating but appreciating diversity and that's the message is that we really need to make sure that, that people appreciate diversity I think that whoever you are follow your passion follow what you believe in follow whether it leads you down the path of art or whether it leads you down a path of business or you know some other aspect of internet creativity um, follow that and and just be passionate about what you do spotlight on success and achievement is brought to you by wells fargo together we'll go far And now, back to the Michelle Meow Show. Welcome back. Thank you so much for joining me here on this Tuesday. I'm Michelle Meow, your host. The show continues. Today we're hearing from voices of those who participated in the uh, Women's March this past weekend. And like I said, the numbers were huge in the millions, if you will. Um, so that historically speaking, is the largest protest uh, of any president here in America, and I think one of the largest protests in general. It's incredible. Um, I'm happy to report that more people attended the Women's March than the actual inauguration of uh, President Donald Trump. Our second half of the show will we'll include a voice that's very important here in the San Francisco Bay Area as we're talking about uh, activism and just what people are doing to stay engaged and active. Um, so I'd love to welcome Kimberly Alvarenga to the program. Kimberly ran for District 11 here in San Francisco. Kimberly, thank you so much for taking time out of your busy day. Thank you, Michelle, for having me. I really appreciate it. So I, I, I know that you participated in the Women's March. I mean, you did more than that. Uh, talk to us about, you know, your experiences uh, leading up to the actual march itself. What were you up to? Oh, well, we uh, had a wonderful Friday. Um, you know, I'm uh, as president of the Harvey Milk, co-president of the Harvey Milk Club. We are part of a broader coalition uh, that includes labor and community groups. And so we were out um, all day Friday uh, on the streets, uh, marching in solidarity with uh, a number of organizations and uh, definitely out in the streets on Saturday, uh, along with you, um, holding a 60-foot banner <laughs> that took, took about 50 people to actually uh, march with in the rain. And uh, just really inspired about uh, working in solidarity with um different communities across the board to make sure that we lift up the voices of, um, of the communities that are underrepresented and mm -hmm. are not on, on Trump's radar. Right, right. You mentioned Harvey Milk Club, and thank you so much. Uh, congratulations, by the way, on the election of you as co-president. This, this is exciting to have you know, such a large political organization like Harvey Milk Club be led by a, a woman, a queer woman, uh, and a queer woman of color. 
Um, let's talk about that election and, and you serving in this capacity, what that might mean for our communities, especially the communities who are under threat as we're talking about the uh, this new president and his administration. Yeah, you know, we're really just um, honored to, to be on the board. I, I am co-president uh, with Carolina Morales. Uh, we are both Latinas, uh, queer women of color. Uh, Carolina is actually a, an immigrant herself from Venezuela, and um, I'm the child of an immigrant and child of a domestic worker. And um, it's really an honor to work with the board. Um, I, you know, I believe that we all understand that during these critical times, we really have to lift up the voices of the communities that are mostly impacted. And for us right now, it's um, the voices of undocumented people, the voices of immigrants, um, the voices of our queer community. So for those of us that encompass or take up all those spaces, it's really uh, a privilege to be able to step up. Um, as immigrants and child of Im- children of immigrants and uh, queer folks to to organize mm-hmm. together and uh, at the local level, but as you know, like what we do here in San Francisco um, has broader ramifications. So mm-hmm. we're looking forward to it. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about San Francisco politics for one second. Um, you know, you, as I mentioned, you ran for District 11. You are politically involved um, and now heading a political action group like the Harvey Milk. Democratic Club, we have had uh, a lot of, um, I guess you could say, heated campaigns here in San Francisco that has split us uh, from a political point of view. And that I would mean, you know, there are moderate progressives and radical liberal progressives in kind of like the what we're trying to hold on to, the spirit of San Francisco. Um, in this new administration, what is under threat? The the kind of issues that you're talking about that impacts the most marginalized. Do you feel that you know you, uh, that we need to be doing a whole lot more, especially working with the moderate progressives who may not be completely understanding the issues that impact, say, um, you know, immigration issues or queer people of color or even the homeless. Yeah, totally agree with you, Michelle. I think that um, you know San Francisco is has been known for many years to be a sanctuary city. Um, and uh, we have always, and not just immigrants, but really defended uh, people that come to this city from all over the world. In many cases, it's it's queer, homeless youth that come into our city uh, seeking a better life or uh, fleeing from uh, un- unsafe environments. So we are a sanctuary city for many people. Um, and part of that really means keeping the city accessible to different communities. Um, it's really unfortunate that uh, our queer community and our immigrant folks that work really hard to make this economy what it is uh, can no longer even afford to live here. Um, so they're in, therefore they end up on the streets or they end up homeless. So um, that's where there's a bit of a rub between, um, you know, what it means to to have San Francisco values. Uh, it's not necessarily a radical thing, um, but we mm-hmm. need to hold each other accountable, you know, to making sure that this city um, continues to, especially right now, uh, reflect the values and the principles that we've we've always had. We are a welcoming city to everybody. Mm-hmm. Everybody that works here should have the ability to live here and thrive here. Thank you for that. Thank you. Uh, I'm very, very, very excited by your leadership, by the way. And uh, there, there had been times in which I pondered my own involvement with, say, such 
groups because I didn't feel that there was someone, um, who, you know, that there was representation of actual queer <laughs> people of color, especially <laughs> queer women. Um, I want to talk about, uh, you know, just just you for a second politically speaking. I mean, you also are a mom. Um, so you've, you know, you've got a family. So many people are talking about uh, just being able to connect with the working families. And you are every bit of what I consider representation of the working family and and how we need to be speaking to the working families, especially those who voted for, say, a Donald Trump. Uh, are you having those types of conversations uh, every day with the working family? Absolutely. Uh, you know, parents that uh, work uh, day in and day out, you know, we used to think about uh, when we thought about working families or folks that were struggling in the city, um, you know, we used to think, oh, low-wage workers, you know, are being uh, impacted. But nowadays, that uh, that is really broadened, Michelle. We have middle-class families in the city that um, can no longer afford to raise their children here, um, to access a quality public education, um, to pay rent, uh, much less pay a mortgage. And so, um, you know, we are continuing to have the conversations with folks on the local level, um, that really need uh, policies not only on the national level but on the on the local level that would really um, continue to make space for them to thrive and and raise their children here. Uh, we believe that um, you shouldn't have to drive two and a half hours into the city to actually have a job and raise a family. Mm-hmm. Uh, you should be able to 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 live here if you work here. You spend most of your time here, whether it's as a city employee or a low-wage worker, uh, you should have the right at some point to be able to, to survive and, and have a life here, uh, and especially for those of us that were raised in the city um, and refused to leave. <laughs> we got to work right. really hard to make sure that it stays that way for right. everybody. And, you know, it starts at the local level, um, but clearly, you know, as we see now, as we're under attack, uh, we're going to have to be defending ourselves at every level. Um, our health care um, is under attack as we speak. Yes, it is, <laughs> especially if you're you're a woman. I got an email the other day, I want to hear your thoughts on this, um, from uh, a mother of a trans person who said that I, I really need to respect uh, the new president and uh, by disrespecting him on my show, um, you know, was was an absolute shame. Um, and, and, and so I kind of want to hear from thoughtful leaders like yourself. I mean, why this new president is such a, a threat to us and, and also why women's rights, because that's I feel like his first. Uh, point of attack, he signed an executive order already that would limit federal funding to non-government, uh, non-profit organizations that provide resources for women and children. Why women's rights and a woman's right to choose is an LGBTQ issue? Absolutely. Anytime that someone um, at uh, at that level is actually uh, believes that they have a right to tell someone else what to do with their body, um, we are all under threat. You know, and you know, Michelle, like as a woman of color, um, you don't have to drive, you know, one hour south or east and uh, be faced with uh, women, young women, women of color that are that are even then having issues accessing uh, reproductive health. 
um, you know, even in California, in terms of policy, it's it's always been a battle to to bring and provide reproductive health services to to low income women and to young women. So, uh, we need to continue to fight. Uh, we need to continue uh, to tell the uh, Trump administration that we are in charge of our bodies, and uh, that they do not have a right to to enact policies that uh, are contrary to to our values and our principles. Thank you. I like that answer. I'm going to borrow that. Thank you. <laughs> um, just a couple more questions before I let you go. Uh, one of the things I, I did want to touch on was just, um, I, didn't, I never got to ask this of you, but when you were running for District 11 here in San Francisco, which uh, would be representational of the absolute working class, the Mission Excelsior District, right? Um, yeah. You know, what, are, what, are, what were the things that you learned the most from you know, your, your campaign and you running for that position? Wow. You know, it was a a life changing experience, um, to have the privilege of running for office and to be able to speak to so many constituents. I think what stands out the most to me is that, um, people are struggling, um, day in and day out to, to survive in our city. Um, they work really, really hard. They work, um, two, three jobs, um, and they're very tired, um, but that they also have hope. Um, they seek to that someone would actually like provide a voice for them um, in an authentic way. And I think that's really reflective of what's happened in this national election. I think there were a lot of people that um, were a bit fed up with, with politics, day in and day out politics and deal-making, mm-hmm. and are really seeking... Um, Unfortunately, they made a wrong decision, you know, but at the core, are, we're really seeking in District 11 someone that would really uh, lift up the voices of the communities that that have not been represented uh, in many years. You know, this, our district, District 11, is one that um, is in many instances, you know, forgotten by, by, by the highest levels of our administration in the city. It's the highest working class district, highest home ownership, highest labor households. Um, but with the least amount of resources in the city of San Francisco. Um, so that said, you know, I did lose that election by 400 votes um, because I was outspent by over a million dollars. Um, but the struggle continues. It's not about individuals or politicians. It's about the communities that we're trying to support and raise up. 400 votes and outspent by a million dollars. I would say give yourself a huge pat on the back. <laughs> Uh, right. And, and just to compare just a little bit, I mean, we also had a very contentious race um, for a state Senate position between Supervisor Jane Kim, uh, former Supervisor Jane Kim and, and uh, uh, you know, Scott Weiner. Um, one of the arguments that came out of that race was just, uh, you know, why we needed a gay representation at the state. And so I wanted to ask you this a very important question is we had the chance to elect an out lesbian woman of color or queer woman of color, uh, especially to an important district like District 11, did you ever feel like you needed to up your campaign to reach out to the LGBTQ community in that, that you know, who could vote um, in order to, to make an impact or to win? Like, did, was it ever important to you to have that message uh, to reach out to the actual queer community? Absolutely. Um, you know, I ran uh, as an out candidate, um, and uh, 
definitely like really worked very hard at reaching out to the LGBT community. I did receive the um, endorsement of the Harvey Milk Democratic Club, and initially I have I had received the uh, PAC recommendation from the Alice B. Toklas Club, that is also an LGBT uh, club. It's a bit more moderate, um, um, but I was stripped of that endorsement. Um, I guess the real estate forces came out and um, did some organizing and, and stripped me of that endorsement. So, um, again, money always uh, plays a role in 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 many many races. Um, it it as you can see, we came 400 votes close to winning. It doesn't always win. Money doesn't always win, but it's definitely an important factor. Um, you know, and unfortunately, as you know, many many of us queers are are quickly leaving the city it's becoming very difficult for for lgbt folks um to to continue to stay in the city and Mm -hmm. um that's why we need a voice at the at the board of supervisors that will advocate for us now winding down so uh you know we talked about it at the beginning of the interview you're now co-president of the harvey milk democratic club uh a uh, very very important political action group or uh coalition here in san francisco do you have plans that you can talk about or, you know, kind of goals or a vision that you have for the organization and uh, maybe some changes that we hope to see, um, even just some short goals this year? Yeah, no, we're um, really excited about, um, you know, working with the Harvey Milk Club. We invite everybody to um, join. Uh, I believe it's milk.org. Uh, join the club, uh, be a part. Uh, we're going to be doing a lot of grassroots organizing in coalition with other organizations and labor unions um, to continue to organize and bring a voice to our communities, not only citywide, but the state, have an impact on the state. We are, I'd say, the most progressive uh, democratic club in the city. Uh, we're really excited. Uh, we are going to be uh, organizing to make sure that uh, City College uh, is going to be free to every San Francisco resident. Um, that um, uh, is up in the air a bit right now, so we're going to be really organizing to make sure that happens. Um, and we're also going to be organizing and resisting Trump. Uh, we're part of an or, uh, a coalition called uh, Rapid Response, and uh, I want to invite everybody to, to join Rapid Response. Uh, we're organizing almost every Tuesday. We had an action today. Um, in response to what the Trump administration is doing. Um, and you can be involved, and you can text uh, re- the word RESIST to 41411, 41411, and join the Rapid Response Network. I love it, because my last question was going to be, what can someone like myself, you know, who <laughs> is clinging on to, 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 to you know, my space here in San Francisco and wanting to be here, wanting to work here, uh, uh, what can I do, you know, to, to be involved in, and especially during this time where a lot of us are talking about wanting to do something. Yes. Yes. And you know, what's exciting about this, Michelle, is that we have an opportunity to, I think these are really exciting times. We have an opportunity to work in solidarity. Uh, many times, you know, we have our differences as communities, uh, for us right now, you know, we as women, as uh, women of color, are going to be working with immigrants, the LGBT community, labor, uh, public education advocates. We're going to come together and make some change and shake it up a bit. I love it. I love it. You've just now given me the uh, 
You've just given me the energy to renew my membership at the Harvey Milk Democratic <laughs> <That's awesome. laughs> Uh, Thank you. Because I had questioned that. It was like, well, you know, I don't know. Because uh, some of the issues that, that, that I really, really am passionate about, I, I want to see you know, other people who look like me, who, who understand these issues, be there at, at the, the leadership roles, too. So thank you so much, Kimberly, you, for, for everything, for having the courage um, to step outside and, and, and do this. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it, and I look forward to working with you. Absolutely. So everyone... Please go now and support the Harvey Milk Democratic Club. We're excited to have new leadership there and, uh, you know, who's going to be focused on some of these issues that we're really passionate about and that will impact the most vulnerable and marginalized of our communities. Don't go away. When we come back, I'll continue the show and uh, shut it down with some final thoughts. The Commonwealth Club is a unique organization that brings together people from a variety of backgrounds to explore important issues as a community. Sooner or later, everyone worth hearing comes to our stage. From Marga Gomez to Richard Chamberlain, from James Hormel to Kate Kendall, leading thinkers, activists, politicians, and artists have come to the Commonwealth Club of California. Ted Olson and David Boyes came here to discuss their winning legal strategy for same-sex marriage. Jason Collins talked about gay athletes. The Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence discussed activism and good works. Actor and director Rob Reiner explained how he got Hollywood behind same-sex marriage. Barney Frank described what it's like to be gay at the highest levels of Washington. From healthcare reform to transgender rights, from immigration to gay-owned businesses, it's all at the Commonwealth Club. And that's still just a portion of the 450 programs we present every single year, with new programming nearly every single day. Be a part of the conversation. Learn more at commonwealthclub.org, download our free app in iTunes, and join us in person the next time you're in San Francisco. The Commonwealth Club of California puts you face-to-face with today's thought leaders. When asked, 90% of seniors say they want to remain in their own homes as they age. Hello, I'm Charles Symes, owner of Allegra Home Care. Our caregivers have been serving seniors and the aging community for over 20 years. Allegra Home Care is the only Bay Area home care agency that is LGTB certified. Helping LGTB seniors stay at home is our passion. Please visit us at www.ale. G-R-E-C-A-R-E dot com. Allegra Home Care, serving your community. And now, back to the Michelle Meow Show. Welcome back. Thanks so much for joining me here on this Tuesday. I can't believe it. It's already January 24th, and it has already happened the uh, zombie apocalypse is here. Uh, <laughs> and I say that only because I feel like, you know, some of you who are trying to normalize and force me to accept President Donald Trump as the uh, president of the United States. And also not just like accept him, but respect him. Like there's nothing that says I need to respect a president, especially a president that is doing incredible harm to many people in this country. Uh, you know, even if President Donald Trump hasn't actually taken away LGBT rights, uh, that doesn't necessarily mean that he doesn't harm me in, in, in other ways. And I think that as an LGBTQ person, 
it is a social responsibility of mine and having an understanding of being oppressed and, and marginalized in a lot of ways in our society that I step up for other human beings who are being discriminated against. So I do see that LGBTQ issues are, uh, it's a human rights uh, issue and human rights issues include women's rights. It includes racial justice. It includes gender identity, includes all of these things, um, these, these uh, issues, you know, that's not just linear uh, or singular for that matter. Uh, so I think that that's a very important statement to make if you're tuning in to Progressive Voices Network or you're tuning in to the Michelle Miao Show, which is, by the way, my motto is your A through Z covering the LGBT, LMNOP and everyone in between show. So from time to time, I will invite those from the other side, you know, who really want to have a conversation with me uh, as far as uh, opposing LGBTQ views and or opposing, you know, all these important issues to me like women's rights and or racial justice. Um, and I think that having the big dialogue is important, but I'm 34 years old now and I've been producing this show for 10 years. I'm a little tired of the complacency and or acceptance of those who have more privileges than some people do here in this country. Cause I think that if we don't check our privileges, say for example, you might have a higher education than I do, or you might have uh, more money than I do, or you've got a great job. Um, these things shape how you feel. You may be fine and content with a president like Donald Trump because some of his actions may not apply to you. But I'll tell you now, his first executive order, you know, in terms of the gag rule that prevents uh, U.S. taxpayer dollars to go to non-government funding, impacts 27 million women and children. So if you're not a woman or you're not dependent on a woman who doesn't have the financial resources, you know, to, to, to give you the best health care, like the childhood that I have, um, then you may not really care. You may not understand this, but why should you understand? Well, because it isn't necessarily about you. No rights of yours is being taken away if you look like Donald Trump and have money like Donald Trump. Um, and my thoughts are that if they are to go for the most vulnerable right away, I don't trust President Donald Trump to preserve the work that we've been doing in the last decade in this country, which is moving forward. Um, So I think a lot of you who are tuning in really understand that. We'll start winding down and ending the show with a little interview I did with activist Ken Jones, who's here in San Francisco. I want to remind everybody that ABC will start airing the new miniseries, When We Rise, which is inspired by Cleve Jones's uh, memoir, his new memoir, When We Rise. So if you haven't gotten your copy, please do so now. And that has a lot to do with the diversity of activism out here in San Francisco as it applies to the LGBTQ community. So enjoy this interview. Ken, thank you so much for joining me. This is such an incredible honor. Well, thank you so much for inviting me down here today to talk about uh, the ABC TV miniseries, mm-hmm. When We Rise, mm-hmm. that is due to drop in February 2017. We're getting close, Michelle. And uh, we're all very, very excited about this opportunity. Right, right. It's such a gift to the LGBTQ community. Um, and I think perfect in terms of timing, uh, as far as how much people are consuming our, uh, you know, our history. Uh, and I say our as an LGBTQ. So your story is told 
through When We Rise, and you're the Ken Jones, who is Harvey Milk's <laughs> friend, and you worked with him in City Hall. You're an activist yourself, um, the first African-American board president of the San Francisco Pride Organization, or I should say at that time it was the um, uh, San Francisco LGBT uh, Pride Celebration Committee. So, uh, Michael K. Williams plays you. How do you feel about that? I mean, Michael K. Williams, he is so gritty and he's raw and he's energetic. And I, I just watched him last night at uh, HBO's the new hit miniseries, The Night Of. Yes. So how do you feel about yes. Michael K. Williams playing he you? He is such an exciting human being with just a huge heart. And Michelle, he really wanted to get this story correct. He put his body through some physical changes you wouldn't believe. He lost 35 pounds uh, portraying me when I was not very uh, healthy. Mm. And uh, he just brings so much passion. He's actually just the perfect person for this role. And uh, I think that what you will see in When We Rise in my story is kind of three themes. And the first, it's a, a short little story. When I was eight years old, I was on the field in grammar school playing track and field. I had run the 100-yard dash, and I had won. And one of the losers came over in front of the entire group and said, you know what, Ken? You run just like a girl. And he put up his hands, and he went running like this. This is 1958, Michelle. I was devastated, you know, mm -hmm. devastated mm -hmm. when the world stops, when you see nothing, when you can hear your heart and feel your pulse. And I was never the same child. Mm. I got into the pattern of I wanted to be the best boy in the world so that God would change me. God was an influence in my growing up, and I kept praying change me. I didn't know anything about preference or orientation, but I knew I was different. Mm -hmm. And I kept praying that God would change me. And Michelle, God didn't change me. It took me about 50 years to get it so clearly that God created me just like I am. And what God needed for me was for me to rise up, own that difference, step out in that difference to make the world a better place. And not only for those who are with us now, but for all those who are going to walk these paths in the future. I want kids all over America to know that, you know, step out in it, own it, you're different. Mm -hmm. And we hope that the parents get the skills that they need to be able to, to foster these precious lives. So that's a value of me, and I hope it's the contribution I can make in terms of kids addressing the issue of bullying. Well, absolutely. It's uh, the fruits of your labor are showing, you know, today and now. And, and to have a project like When We Rise get funded and and get shown on ABC. I, I mean, know. Who would have thought? <laughs> who would have thought? Did when you think it would happen? Never. When we were little ragtag leftists, that even the gay community would rather us be invisible. And that's a part of the story, too. The person playing me as young Ken is Jonathan Majors. Mm -hmm. And you're going to hear this name a great, great deal. He's another phenomenal actor. 
And when he landed the role, he wrote me an email and he said, Ken, I just Googled you and nothing came up. And I said, well, welcome to my world. I've been invisible for a very long time. And then I said, and I always thought that Meryl Streep would be playing me in the miniseries, but it is what it is. <laughs> I would want Meryl Streep playing me too. I love her. That was a little clip from an interview I did with Ken Jones, activist here in the San Francisco Bay Area, who is included in the new miniseries, When We Rise, that's coming out in February on ABC. So Google it. Make sure you uh, tune in. Very, very, very important uh, show, um, uh, uh, showing the diversity of activism here in the San Francisco space. Thanks so much for joining me here on the program here on Progressive Voices Network. For everything else, you can head to michellemeow.com. We'll be back at the same time tomorrow, 4 o'clock Pacific Standard Time. Thank you.